The reading from the New Testament tonight comes from Acts chapter 4, which is um, actually not printed in your bulletin, it says 3, but it's 4, um, 13 through 31, and it can be found on page 3 and page 4 in your bulletin. Acts 4, 13 through 31. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that, there had been, that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because of all the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For, on, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of the Lord with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. Oh, Lord, we pray you would send your spirit upon us, that you would favor us with the um, sunshine of your grace, of the fiery power of your spirit. And we pray that you would transform us into one new people. In Christ's name, amen. So we are doing a study on what we're calling one new people, and that is how Jesus Christ, how the Christian gospel can transform a group of people. And this is part of a larger thing we're talking about this year, which is what does it mean to be the family of God? What kind of community does God pull together? And we've already learned it's a community that, first of all, that's a cross-cultural community. It's a community immediately that goes out into different people groups and gathers. We've learned that it was a community that was based on prayer, and we see that now, the way they prayed about leaders and prayed before the Holy Spirit came. 
And we learned as well that it, it really is a community that, um, really a community of surprises. You know, where God is just at work in wonderful ways. And we see that in particularly in this passage with the idea of boldness. I mean, if you think about, if we just went, you know, a couple months before and thought about Peter who denied Jesus and the apostles that all fled away, what accounts for this boldness? They're standing before the very people that executed Jesus. And yet they have this new boldness, this freedom. And it's starkly different from the boldness of the religious leaders. And that's what I want to look at today. You know, I, I think the word boldness, well, it leaves us kind of, I don't know how I feel about it. Have you been around someone who was uh, bold but had like low emotional intelligence, right? There is, there is a bad boldness, right? A boldness that fails to listen, a boldness that just sort of serves itself and just, you know, a, a bull in a, you know, a china shop, whatever you would call it, that knocks over everything. And then you have a boldness that can inspire and gather people together. So we've seen the good side of that. But what does new boldness look like? We get a picture of it here in this passage. And so I want us to compare and contrast the boldness we see, but then talk about how do we cultivate that. I personally am someone that is constantly praying for greater boldness. Because by nature, I'm, a, I'm sort of a harmony guy. You know, I can give you all the psychological reasons for my cowardice. You know, well, I'm a middle child, my personality leans this way, and I'm this, on, you know, we could go all that way. I, I was, you know, I, I had a, a moment um, this past week, and this is, you know, okay, here comes some transparency. You're like, oh no, what is he going to say? Uh, especially based on what he said last week. But anyway, uh, thank you. I didn't get any emails on Monday about, about your offense, about the comment about gambling, or about the other thing. Um, so, but, um, and so, you know, there's this one, I, I walk my dog around the neighborhood like everybody walks their dogs, and there's this one particular woman who has a dog, and, you know, we've talked to short, you can only talk for about a minute with a dog, right, if you can even do that. Uh, but little bits and pieces, we don't really know each other well, but the other day, I was um, getting ready to go play with Cecil, do a gig, so I was dressed up in sort of the gig outfit putting my guitar into the car, and she comes by and goes, whoa, boy, you're dressed up, and, you know. And uh, I, I was convicted how easy it was for me to talk about the fact that I was going to play a gig. And when I finally said to her, well, you know, she said, well, is that what you do? No, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know, I wish I could have said, you know, but I, there was that part of me that was like, you know, cool musician <laughs> or pastor. See me this way, right? I need boldness. I don't know if you need it. I'm really happy for this passage. So let's first of all look at this together. And let me tell you, we're doing this out of order. Next week, Andrew's actually going to preach on the event that led to this one. 
which was the healing and some of the persecution, okay? Now, these guys don't get in trouble with the high priest and the elders and the Sadducees and this whole council. They don't get in trouble because a miracle happened. It's the explanation they give. You know, people are really happy for us to do, like, good things, right? And, I, and I've noticed that I would say in my tenure as pastor, the Christians I hang with are more comfortable with doing deeds than words at times, right? And, and it's critical, right? You've got to give people a taste and a savor of Jesus. But they didn't get in trouble because they did good. They got in trouble because of the explanation. And the explanation was basically this. The very guy that threatened you so much is still alive, and now he's doing his work through us. That's what Peter basically says. He goes, you can't deny the power, and you know who did this stuff all the time, and you know that he did more than that. He was out to save souls and get into that uncomfortable place, and now he's doing it here. Guess what? He's back, right? You guys know what I was trying to do there with the he's back, right? Yeah, some of you do. And one, one person is not going, Glenn, just don't, don't try to like press it when you do something you think's clever. You know, just like leave it there and let us maybe enjoy it. Some of you don't know, I'm off to my next point. Anyway. So the one that threatened them so much, Jesus, is now at work through them. Now, how do we understand the threat? Okay, Israel at this time, right, is under subjection to Rome. They have been for a long time. And uh, they're an oppressed people. They live in fear. How do you respond to that, right? We, we hear about fight or flight all the time, but how do you respond? Some people, their boldness takes the shape of, I'm going to fight. And that's what some of the zealots did, right? We're going to basically form this assassin's army and put as many Romans to death as we can, and that's how we're going to show our God-given boldness. The second expression is the disciples. We'll get to that in a second, their boldness. But the third way that you might deal with a situation is as many of the religious leaders did, and that was they cooperated with the Romans to try to carve out for themselves a place of status. Right? I mean, you, you're in sort of an oppressed system, and so that you're going to try to work your way in and give yourself a place of status. And we see this actually uh, exemplified in the prayer, right? Because two people are mentioned, Pontius Pilate and King Herod. See, the Romans actually preferred people that would assimilate and people that would come together and cooperate. So what they did was they said, all right, Israel, we're going to let you have sort of your own little world here your own religious world, you know, your own rulers, even a puppet king, King Herod. And he, you know, he can do a lot. He's going to have a lot of power as long as they keep the peace, as long as you don't make trouble for us. But, you know, if you're in that kind of relationship and system long, you start to get used to the perks, right? I mean, they, you know, they're sort of... They're, you saw when Jesus was sent to be executed, what happened? Pilate sent him to Herod, and it said after that point they became friends. You know, there was this idea of you're kind of in that system and you're enjoying the comfort and the prosperity and the perks, 
and your boldness starts to get built off of that. You know, I can't help but think about like me and us, right? One hand, God calls us to like live in the world, live in the city, and we have to interact, right? And we work in its businesses and its industries and among its people. In the one hand, uh, we read last week that the believers had favor with the world, and that was a good thing. That was part of the drawing thing. But you know something? If you only have favor with people that aren't followers of Jesus, it's probably because you're a coward. And if you only like have trouble and offense with them, it's probably because you're a bit of a jerk, right? But there's something in between. There's something that was happening with both of these. And so, and the reason, I, I'm, the reason we know this is because Jesus took them the task about this. Jesus said of the religious leaders, I mean, you, you love the places of honor. You love the flowing robes. You love the titles. He actually rebuked them and said, woe to you for your greediness and self-indulgence. When Jesus talked, said you can't love God, uh, God and money, Luke adds that Jesus had said, he was referring to the Pharisees who were lovers of money. When they heard all those things, they ridiculed him. And so, you know, you've got a group of people that their boldness has basically been built off of, they've been too comfortable with the system. They've been accepted into the place, and, you know, the way they live, and they're enjoying the perks, some of the praise of it, plus they got this whole thing underneath them, they get to run and rule. Jesus comes to town, and he begins to take the mess with the Jenga game. You know, he begins to sort of pull at the things here. And now the disciples are doing the same thing. Now, a few outcomes of this sort of boldness I want to just mention. Uh, one, I already did, that it, their boldness became something that was fueled by self-indulgence and greed. And so one of the questions I think we ask is, you know, what sense of confidence do I get from my stuff? You know? Yeah, it doesn't take much. Like, you know, someone knocks on your door and you're like, you haven't showered, you haven't brushed your teeth, you look terrible, you know? How bold do you feel at that moment? As opposed to, you know, you're really nice, dressed, you know, give them the firm handshake. It doesn't take much for us, right? Our possessions and all this stuff, we derive a certain level of confidence from, and these guys were, were, were fueled by that. The second thing is their build, boldness was built upon a false sense of meritocracy. And we see this actually when they, uh, in verse 7, which Andrew will look at, when uh, they say to these guys after this healing, by what authority do you do this? Another way to say this is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are healing someone on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are? This was Jesus when he healed someone. Who do you think you are uh, presuming to preach this way and address us this way? Because we are the ones with the credentials and the qualifications. That word ordinary, when it said they saw they were ordinary, ordinary meant you don't have the credentials. You don't have the qualifications. You don't have the status to speak into things that way. Their sense of confidence was built upon this idea of, hey, listen, I've worked my way up through the system, and I've, I've pulled myself up by the bootstraps, and I merit this. 
And you don't have that sort of stuff. You know, there's a lot of classism and racism that's actually fueled by that, right? Meritocracy. You know, the idea, especially middle upper class folks, will look and say, you know, I, I worked hard through the system and made it. Why can't you? And if you're white, you especially need to pay attention to that. But all of us have this lean in our flesh toward meritocracy, and they, their boldness was built on that. Their boldness resulted in dismissing truth from unqualified sources. These guys have come, God has sent these guys to bring the gospel of grace and truth for them, but they can't hear them because of who they are and what they represent. Who do I tend to tune out? You know, this is a boldness built on uh, basically uh, me as the center of the universe. Let me move to this one. And it's ultimately a boldness that's unjust and immoral. The reason that Herod and Pilate didn't do the right thing is because they love their positions of comfort, as the Pharisees do and as the religious leaders do. So for all these reasons, th- this is basically, right, a boldness that is built off of world status. All of us are vulnerable to it in different ways. It may be the boldness of having the right image I project. You know, D.C. is a title town. Boldness of the title I get or the boldness of my expertise or the boldness of, you know, the fact that I feel like I have the perfect body. The boldness, fill in the blank. All of us veer toward this false sense of courage and boldness. Now, you compare that to the boldness you find that's spirit-led in the disciples. I mean, here they are again, risking their lives to bring a word of grace to people that killed their Lord and rabbi. Right? I was thinking about um, a story I read this past um, week, and it was an account in 1982 from the church in China. And the account was uh, they had deployed... Uh, 10 men and 10 women to uh, preach in the most barren, poor villages. And uh, as they did, the interest was so amazing, like people were forgetting to, to eat, forgetting to go home, forgetting to go to work. Factories were closing down because people wanted to hear the gospel. Obviously, the authorities didn't like that, and those people became an example. So this comes from the account um, that the authorities began to beat them till they were unconscious. But when they would come back to consciousness, they would begin to mutter singing. And if they had strength, begin to praise and to preach a little bit. And uh, this pastor says, when the brothers and sisters in that region saw these people bound and forced to kneel on the ground for more than three days without food or water and beating with sticks until their faces were covered with blood and their hands made black by the ropes, but still praying, singing, praising the Lord, then they wished to share their persecution, be bound with them and cast into prison. So in this area recently, the flame of the gospel has spread everywhere. There had never been a revival here before, but through this persecution, this place has truly received the seeds of life. This is what's happening with the gospel in these leaders, this boldness 
that's produced. Now, how does it get cultivated? Let's move to that. Um, sometimes starting something new is hard, right? Um, they, they always say this in, you know, exercise classes. You know, the hardest thing was putting on your shoes and walking here, right? Sometimes it just seems like putting on your shoes or getting out of the chair or whatever it is, you know, the hard, just starting is just so hard because of what it's going to entail. Starting to become bold is the simplest thing. Any of us can do it. You don't even have to move. You don't even have to really speak. You just have to ask for the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. You see that actually at the end of the prayer, but how did these cowards become bold this way? It wasn't them. I mean, you might have heard that passage from these believers in China and go, you know, I, you feel ashamed, like, I, you know, I, I don't even speak up to my... Listen, take heart. The only way anybody is ever bold for God is because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. Jesus sends the third person of the Godhead into those that receive him. And boldness can be birthed. That encourages me. You know, every day, each of us should just ask, Lord, fill me with your spirit because I want to be bolder. Now, we'll get into the quality of the boldness. I mean, even this encounter was Jesus making good on a promise. Jesus had said to them exactly this. You're going to be dragged before the councils and synagogues, but don't fear, for I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. As much as the religious order was offended by their boldness and their arrogance, they were also stunned by it. There was something about it that was, maybe they even envied it. They, they had noticed they had been with Jesus. They had seen this before. That same spirit we're told in the New Testament that God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. I love how all those are together, right? Because any one of them separated would just be a mess. But all of them together make for something beautiful and strong. And this is the transformation you begin to see with the disciples. So they ask they ask for boldness. They ask for it in the prayer. You and I need to ask. But even the prayer itself, if you go to the book of Ephesians, talking about approaching, we can approach the throne of grace, book of Hebrews, but that through Christ, believers are given boldness, access with confidence. Now this is getting into something really important. And that is, um, how can I say this? Lack of boldness or false boldness is the mark of an uncertain relationship with God. Lack of boldness or false boldness is the mark of an uncertain relationship with God. It's the mark of someone who deep down is insecure about their relationship with God. Because, you know, if you feel like God isn't your refuge and doesn't have your back, or if you don't understand that he has given you a righteousness apart from your moral performance, 
or that you've been adopted as a favored son or daughter, or you've been given an heir. Those, all those things make for freedom and boldness, right? What enabled Jesus to not have to live and feed off the approval of people? It was the Father. It's the way the Father saw him and loved him. And it's not by chance that when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them, what, you're going to suffer and get persecuted. A servant or slave is not above his master, which is interesting. They use that word slave in their prayer. When they say, you know, bless your servant, they actually say literally slaves. When Jesus tells them what they're going to face, at the same time, he's telling them how much he loves them. I'm lo- you're loved with the same love that the Father has, because perfect love casts out fear. And love makes us bold, which gets to the the quality of it. And I'm going to end with that point, but I want to say one other thing before I do. They didn't just ask for boldness, though, right? Look at the prayer. Look at the prayer that they pray. It's very much focused on the sovereign power of God. They they embolden themselves by meditating on the very attribute they need. They they heal themselves. They embolden themselves by camping out in prayer on the fact that God is sovereign and he has power. And by that, they're, you know, they're strengthening themselves, but also they connect their story with the long story of the Bible. Their prayer actually mirrors uh, Hezekiah's prayer in the book of Isaiah when he's afraid of Assyria coming to you know, wipe out Israel. And so in that prayer, they're pulling on the story of God being faithful, but also, you know, and this is, this is something I think that undoes us, at least it does me. Um, when, you, when you don't connect, like, do, do you and I believe that what we're doing in D.C. in 2022 through this little church together is like a chapter in this story? Do you believe your life is really part of this story? Or is it like, now that's kind of the main story and I, I don't really know what my life is. Because what it does is it, it, it makes you feel insignificant. It makes you feel like this stuff that's happening to me is just happening to me. See, they're, they're able to understand, connect, just like Jesus, you, just like you were able to override his arrest and his suffering to do something amazing, the redemption of the world, just as you were able to do that, you're able to work through our suffering to do amazing things. But many times we, you know, we don't think like that, do we? Listen, you're either in God's story or you're not in God's story. If you've received Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you're in his story. And I think that helps us to say, this this matters. What's happening to me is part of it. And it may be the way, you know, okay, but no one's like, you know, accosted you at work and said, deny your faith. They might. But the book of Hebrews says that God kind of 
perfects us through little hardships. How do we handle those things? Remember, Jesus was 30 years before he started his ministry. Do you think he was just like sitting around? No. Was he called to boldness in lots of different ways then? Yeah. Probably as a six or seven year old, he had to stand up for obedience, right? Couldn't be a people pleaser. We know that among his own family. Probably at work, of course. Enough on that point. But what about the character of this boldness? Because, you know, boldness just in and of itself is not a great thing. It's love, right? That's what we're called to. It's bold love. Dan Allender's written a book called Bold Love, which, um, but in it, let let me read his uh, definition of bold love. Bold love courageously sets aside personal agenda to move humbly into the world of others with their well-being in view. Bold love is willing to risk further pain in our souls in order to be an aroma of life to some and an aroma of death to others. That's what the disciples are doing here. That's what those Christians in China were doing, right? It's this idea that, uh, I I love that there's a double negative the disciples use where they say, we cannot not not talk about this. We have to talk about Jesus. We have to. Because what what he's done for us personally, what he's done for us collectively, we have to talk about it. I am compelled by the love of Christ, Paul said. But it is love that should be compelling us. That, that, word, that word boldness, actually, in its original context, means straightforwardness. The ancients understood it as the highest good because it was a willingness to put yourself in harm's way for the sake of honesty and being truthful. One, one person, one scholar I read described it like this. It describes a morally secure person who lives in full openness toward fellow citizens, friends, and enemies. Right? It's this willingness to say, I'm not going to be two or three different people. This is who I am before everybody. And maybe that's where it starts with us, right? It's this ability to say, you know, I'm not going to be like uh, Glenn the musician here and Glenn the pastor here and Glenn the this here. So, you know, how can I like make this thing work right here? Is it just this ability to say, God has loved me and this is who I am? Boldness can start in very small ways. So, uh, it's pretty plain, I think, where I'm going to be putting my mind for this week. And that is asking God for His Spirit and praying for opportunities to be bold for him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, just as you fell on the apostles and disciples, you would fall on us, this community. We pray that you would fall on us in a way where we can throw off the false boldness we get from um, just bowing down to the world and seeking to build up something like that. Forgive us for the ways that we've sort of like lived off of the system. Um, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit 
and you would give us opportunities to uh, lovingly speak about our great hope, which is you. And Lord, we know that some will despise it, some will ridicule it, some it will be like water, bread. And we won't know until we speak. Give us your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.